I think it's really important to say is when you're on the high is when you need to be doing, you know, some of the most investing and preparing and planning and execution for when you're at the low. Because when you're at the low, that's when revenues are down. And that's when you do need to make changes and do things differently. And the problem is, is that's the, that's the most difficult time to do it. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2 of Light Data Action. On this show, we talk a lot about how current and emerging technologies impact different industries, but the one industry we haven't touched on yet is sports. Now, the impact of technology in sports has evolved significantly over the past 20 years due to rapid advancement, and this is clearly seen as an opportunity rather than a threat. Now, how this unfolds in the future is really going to depend more and more on technology because human performance limits have already been reached in many fields, and yet there is still an expectation that in venues such as the Olympics, new world records will be set by 2030 due to the advancement of technology. While this indicates progress in the way that athletes practice and compete, similar advancements are still to come for sports managers and fans themselves who are engaging in and consuming sports at unprecedented levels. My guest today has spent the last decade leading the technology program for not just sports organizations, but championship organizations, and he's here to chat with me today. Andrew McIntyre is the Senior Vice President of Vinick Sports Group, the parent company of the Tampa Bay Lightning NHL team, Amelie Arena, and Tampa Bay Entertainment Properties. Prior to joining this organization, Andrew served as the Vice President of Technology for the Chicago Cubs. This past November, the Sports Business Journal recognized Andrew and Vinick Sports Group as power players, which is the publication's designation for, and I quote, the gatekeepers and stewards of technological innovation in sports. And then in May of this past year, the Tampa Bay Lightning was also recognized as Team of the Year. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for the warm introduction. Great to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, so, wow, those those accolades. I mean, Tampa Bay Lightning won two of the last three hockey championships, the Stanley Cup. They went to the finals, I think, one other time since you joined the Lightning. And then the Chicago Cubs broke their curse and won the World Series while you were there. In some sports championship lore, that makes you a lucky charm, I think. What's it like to be part of not one, two organizations, separate franchises, and be able to pull off the same thing, not just one, but multiple years in the case of the Lightning? I think I've been very, very fortunate. You know, a lot of individuals within the industry are very, very excited to even get the opportunity to compete for a championship. And obviously, if they can win one, even better. But you're right. I've been very fortunate 
with the opportunities that I've had in sports, starting with the Cubs and the Ricketts family's acquisition in 2009 and the transformation of what they did leading up to the 2016 championship. And then joining Jeff Vinnick and his group down here in Tampa and uh, having an amazing run over the past three seasons with my tenure with them. I think people think I'm a very lucky person when it comes to when I make my moves and, and, and what is the outcome of those moves. But yeah, I'm obviously very, very pleased with, with how things have turned out this far. Yeah, that's, that's really phenomenal. You know, I talked in my opening about technology impacting the performance of the actual athletes, enhancing the fan experience. Then I talked about the evolution of sort of the sports manager, the sports technology manager, which you sort of fit in that role, with how much current and emerging technology is impacting sports kind of across different teams and different sports. What does the profile background skill set need to look like for somebody like yourself, somebody coming into a team, whether they'd won a championship or not, but virtue of the fact that they're a professional sports team. Has that changed over the years, over the last decade that, that you've been doing it? Do you have to be more technologist? Is there some other aspect of it that you, you see has changed or needs to change? So I, I'll, I'll share my journey a little bit here. And, and I think that journey is still pretty consistent. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of times inside of our industry, there is too much um, focus internally of what are other clubs doing, what are other leagues doing. And you can get inspired by those things. But but a lot of times that tends to be kind of a little bit follow the leader. When I was brought into the Cubs, I was completely outside of the industry as a whole. I had spent right. my time in consulting and then uh, was working in financial services. And so when I entered sports, I came in with a very different mindset. And I saw best practices from those other industries. I saw capabilities that had not been introduced to sports yet. And I think that really helped me in regards to you know, how I uh, asked questions, made decisions, developed roadmaps, and then executed. So that kind of, I would call it a more of a wider scope and spectrum of technology than bringing it to sports was, was extremely helpful. Now that I've been within industry, you know, I continue to look outside of sports for innovation, for what is next. And there's a lot of really strong industries across entertainment, healthcare, where you really start to see that you can get inspired, identify those the next wave of technology that's going to impact sports. Because in a lot of cases, those, those industries are a step ahead. And so as much as I do, and I think as much as what you see leading clubs and, and leagues do is don't just keep an inward focus, really look towards the outside for some of that inspiration. And, and then how do you apply that within the industry? Now, how different is it or similar is it to manage a sports technology program within, say, a Major League Baseball team and an NHL team? Are there things that are similar in terms of considerations? Obviously, there's things going to be different how you apply the technology because they're entirely different games, different rules, and so forth. But, but are there things that you would see somebody like the Cubs do from a technology perspective that you go, ooh, I can take something similar and I can apply it to an NHL team. For example, the, the, the wearable sensors to be able to track all kinds of motions, the kind of stuff that, that you do with the puck and player program, for example, that the NHL rolled out. How, how does that play? Are there similarities and differences? I assume there are differences, but are there similarities that you look at? Yeah, I'll start with the similarities. I mean, really when it comes to driving the business operation side of the house, the major revenue lines and, and different techniques and, and approaches you can take to, to maximize those areas, I think are very similar across the leagues. Percentage of revenue based on each league is obviously slightly different, whether it's 
Some leagues are driven more by their broadcast revenues compared to others where it might be a little bit more on the ticketing side and the, and the in-venue experience. But in general, there's some consistency across those that as you learn it through one league, you can apply it to others. And I think then when you start to break those down, you can start to see, you know, where a lot of sharing occurs. You know, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, clubs within the league are all partnering together to drive the overall top revenue for the league itself. So everyone's working on that together. And that's why there is that sharing collaboration in, in those pieces. And even across the league, there's some great conferences that I attend that, you know, you get to learn from others across different leagues. The difference is, is I would say it's, it's a little bit more embedded in the sport and the adoption or accelerated adoption of technologies to support the performance on the, on the field of play. And on this one, you know, I think I'll, I'll draw on my baseball compared to, to the hockey side is, you know, when I look at some of the things that Major League Baseball did at the league level, at the time, they had advanced media, which was driving a lot of the original waves of, of streaming. But also advanced media really started to push forward on a lot of centralization of content distribution, uh, as well as experience. And what that allowed them to do from not just revenue, but also fan experience standpoint, allow really kind of push the envelope uh, on that front. The, uh, the other piece on baseball is everyone was looking for a way to get some competitive advantage. And some of the original ways, you know, tie back to, you know, the introduction of sabermetrics and those pieces, right? Looking at data differently and driving it through analytics to try to get some edge. I think right. the next version of that is now what you're seeing on the video analytics side of the house. And so whether it's wearables or other things that you can pick up on across the entire sport itself and then leverage that in your player evaluations, leverage that into performance on the field, you know, in-game strategies, I think baseball is, has really driven that pretty substantially. And, and that's something that now you're seeing some of those technologies that were imp- introduced originally at, at the professional level are now getting pushed down into the minor leagues. Now, comparing that to the hockey side of the house and my limited tenure here, so only three years in hockey and, and eight in baseball, is right. that I think hockey is, in a, in a sense, a little bit behind. And, and some of that is because of, obviously, the revenues are very different between the two leagues. But some of the technology really hasn't been introduced yet to change the game. And I think we are now on the brink of seeing that. And what I mean by that is you hinted towards player and puck tracking. This technology that is you know, RFID in the puck as well as in the jerseys is picking up information at a much quicker speed, more accuracy. And it's changing the way that you can break down individual plays, what's happening on the ice. Again, back to player performance. And so I kind of equate that to it's the it's the sabermetrics of, of, of hockey that we're going to start to experience over the next several years. And so uh, even though hockey might be a little bit behind, I think you're going to see it leapfrog. And the other little note on that is is what I have seen, too, is there's a little bit of recruiting that's occurring from the baseball side of the house over to hockey. Probably one of my favorite examples is one of my ex-Cubs associates, Jeff Greenberg. He was the director of baseball operations for the Cubs. He is now the assistant GM at the Chicago Blackhawks, and wow. he recruited his software development team from the Cubs over to the Blackhawks. So again, it's you're seeing that skill set, that analytical mindset, that ability to build unique and custom and specialized programs to drive competitive advantage. You know, you're, you're starting to see that showing up in hockey right now, and, and so I think hockey is going through that major transformation, and it's exciting to be a part of it. Yeah, I bet in business. When it comes to adopting technology, sometimes we see that these large 
legacy companies don't adopt or aren't as agile as the startups that that have you know kind of grown up in in much more native world in terms of the use of cloud and some of the technologies within within hockey in terms of adoption of technology are teams like sort of that original six more on top of adopting new technologies or is it some of the newer teams that have come into the leagues like the lightning in comparison to say the bruins or the canadians and so forth tend to lead and then everybody else follows is there that dynamic in hockey yeah so i mean i, I would probably answer that a little bit slightly differently is that i think there's some organizations that are very forward thinking and like toronto is a great example of an organization that is leverages their big market and their big brand and their multitude of, of sports properties that they manage within the Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. I mean, they're someone that we're all kind of keeping an eye on and trying to compete with. We know that they drive in a tremendous amount of revenue, which they can then put back into R&D, which then can drive more innovation and technology. So, you know, there's someone we're always learning from, but also competing against. I think that's a really good example. I think Chicago with their new leadership, another organization you got to keep your eye out on. I can't speak to all the original six, but I would say like those two stick out at least initially. But then I do think there are other teams that maybe not original six, but now you're starting to see another really big push on. So monumental sports and entertainment out of uh, Washington, D.C. is another one that I think is really cutting edge from what they do in their arena, the technology they have within the building itself, what they're doing across regional sports networks. They're another group that you have to keep an eye on because they're constantly like setting the bar very high. Now, the Lightning, I would say, are we're going to be very creative and selective of where we're going to look for our opportunities for advantage. And I like to think that we have some things that are working on our side, whether it's myself, the good luck charm, or other things that happen in the sunny state of Florida and in Tampa. But yeah, you know, we feel like we can compete and we have a pretty good story to tell. And so we're excited, you know, to be the, the small market team in Florida that's playing hockey that's competing with some of the big boys. So as somebody who lives in Arizona, I struggle sometimes with the idea of hockey being played in warm weather cities like Tampa Bay. And I think I'm just curious whether, you know, relocating to a new city, being an executive for a hockey team or most people wear shorts year round. Again, I live in Arizona and you focus on water activities and other things. How does, what does the community reach out look like? I know Tampa in general from a community, certainly sports, you have the Bucks, the Lightning, the Rays and so forth. There's a pretty vibrant community. How do you and then the, the Vinick Group and the Lightning, what does your community outreach look like to not only build a more loyal fan base, but to also give back to a community that is pretty vibrant to begin with? And so one of the things that was really attractive when I was going through the recruiting process and learning about the lightning and learning about Jeff Finnick was their emphasis on community. Everything that they do is, is built on community. Jeff is known for being an extremely giving individual and his family is very giving. And, and they knew that if they were going to turn around this franchise, which was kind of on the brink of, of bankruptcy, quite, quite honestly, and potentially folding was they had to get the entire, you know, Tampa Bay region behind them. And it all starts with being relevant in the community and giving back. And so a couple of things that we do, all of the executive team members have to serve on a board or multiple boards of nonprofits to get involved in the community. We have a specific target of number of hours for each associate to work in the community to give back. 
And then part of the Lightning Foundation that we have is every game Jeff has been basically giving to a nonprofit $50,000 per game for the entire tenure of his ownership group. So it's now over $20 million. Uh, you know, and that community hero program has been going on since the start. So it's not just, you know, talking about being in the community. It's actively, you know, seeing our associates, seeing us in the community, helping out, providing whether it's financial or even resources, constantly looking towards the community of work, community first organization. And so the goal there being is that the more that we can help the community, hopefully the community can embrace us and then obviously come back to support us. And I do think they have. And I think obviously the success on the ice has also helped quite a bit with that. But it's now it's it's a two way street. We know we're always going to hold them up and, and support them and, and they're going to do the same for us. So, you know, back back when I was recruiting and I came down here and I'm scratching my head going, you know, hockey in Florida and Tampa and what's this all about? And I remember when I when I landed at the airport and then the drive along the way. You know, you can really get a feel for the passion of a fan base when you can see what's happening just within the neighborhoods. And I saw more bolts, flags, and paraphernalia across the entire time that I was here in Tampa than I saw the other two franchises. And that's not to say that they don't have a strong fan base, but it definitely feels like the Lightning is the community brand and really what's ingrained. And then the uh, the Bucks, you know, not to speak negatively, but I think the Bucks people will support, but. It, it, it almost is like kind of comes and goes. Um, and, and that's a, a unfortunate, but I, I do think that's something that hopefully that everyone kind of can work together to continue to support the community and, and that all teams will rise up. But I know right now I feel very, very confident that we're in the, in the hearts and minds of, of the fan base. Yeah, I think that's one of the benefits of being in a smaller city. I'm in Tucson, and I just started following the Tucson Roadrunners, which are on the AHL side. And Tucson, to me, is a big town. I grew up in outside of New York City. It's a different vibe. Uh, I mean, you have, obviously, the New York fans and the Boston fans and the LA fans and so forth that are, that are rabid about their team and loyal for a lifetime. But there's something about the smaller city element that enhances the sport itself and this idea of giving back to the community which I think is very cool. So I I certainly appreciate that about Tampa. Speaking of the fans, it's amazing the advancements in technology that the Lightning have implemented to enhance fan experience. You know, the technology is the backbone in terms of it being agile enough and able to adapt to a changing fan expectation, which as I said in the beginning, fans are absorbing sports and all kinds of uh, different media and, and so forth. Can you share some of the ideas when you look at some of the technology that are specific to the fan experience that you've implemented or, you know, the group in general has implemented that has made it even better for your fan base? Sure. I always tend to speak on behalf of the organization, so I I can't necessarily say that I'm going to take credit for all these things, but I, I can say that we are a part of it. You know, a couple of things that really come to mind immediately is, Again, now this is in history, so it's a little bit before my time, but something that I've carried the mantle on, which is there is an extreme focus on uh, game presentation. And so every aspect uh, for when you arrive at the arena, through your experience and directly into your seat, you know, and the pregame show, as well as throughout the entire the game itself, there's a major emphasis in the investment into the technology that supports game presentation. So a couple of things that were done, again, in the past, at the time, we implemented the largest video board 
in an arena when it was first introduced. Now that's, you know, many, many moons ago. And so we, we have long since been eclipsed on that because that, that's, right. that's a tough game to stay ahead of. But at the time, it was let's bring the biggest and best video board to the experience. Other things that we've done, which I think are very unique and special, one to our brand, but just two to anyone who comes in here is we have Tesla coils that are actually in the arena. And so part of our show, as well as part of goal scoring, is that the Tesla coils will go off. So you'll see lightning happening directly into the arena, which is always fun. I think we have some of our programs with regards to our warm-ups always include an individual from the community, which is a part of the, the youth skate that will come in and, and actually get the crowd riled up before we, we move forward. And then I think this the, the emphasis on the precision of ensuring that we have every step along the way and, and the, the detail in the scripts that we run for the game itself, anticipating changes in the game, anticipating when we need to pump up the crowd, when we need to you know, bring in an instant replay, when we need to you know, pivot to, to something different with a, a showcase, whether it's the community hero or something else, the, the precision on what we do on the scripting side is, is really lights out. And it's exciting because it's always an emphasis. You know, we have a goal to be in the top three in, in game presentation on an annual basis. And, and we feel really strongly that we continue to put out a great product and people are reaching out to us to come to learn from, from, from the organization. Now, my role in this is obviously not on the, the, execution of the show. It's more of making sure that the show can execute flawlessly. And so for me, it's the technology that supports behind it, whether it's our network infrastructure, our control room infrastructure, making sure all the, all the LED boards are working properly. Our audio system is tuned. Our, our comms are up and running. All of those pieces kind of come down to our team. And so our, our job is to make sure that there is no distractions. The tech is working properly and we can continue to add more and more capability. Yeah, one of the things more recently that we that we've done is we've been working with the league's program on player and puck tracking, and specifically starting to take that video as well as some of the data that's being generated from the system and distribute that across the arena itself. And so you're getting real time time on ice of the players coming on and off the ice in a visual format that is being distributed across the outside experience, which is what we call Four Thunder Alley but also inside the arena in our quad areas on the promenade concourse, and then also throughout our IPTV system. So you're starting to see next level generation of stats and experiences happening. And so that's just one little example. Then in the playoffs, when we are unfortunately unsuccessful in, in trying to get a three-peat, Jeff in his generosity flew the entire front office to Denver to catch a game, but we still had a watch party back in, in Tampa for the fans. We took the actual output of the player puck tracking system, and then we generated basically from the system, generated a overlay of where the players were on the ice. And so that even though you're seeing, a, you know, a real distribution on broadcast on the video board, you actually saw the projection that was happening on the ice of the players skating around the actual ice itself in real time. And so that's another example of some of these technologies and how you can deploy them in a unique and different way to just, you know, get that one extra piece for the fans to have a little bit more insight of what is happening, not just, you know, the sights and smell when we're here, but also when we're away. Yeah, I also saw that Amelie Arena was one of the first hockey arenas to implement Wi-Fi along with the ProWire technology that allows the fans to actually wear headphones and listen to the play-by-play while they're at the game, which I can imagine just makes it more immersive, right? 
Yeah, no, and, and this was a this was a really fun, innovative thing that we came across. And you know, a lot of times, again, stealing a page from baseball. A lot of times, people used to bring the radios in, you know, because right. they want to listen right. to the radio while they're while they're watching the game. And I think uh, Steve Bartman was a good example of that. If you remember that whole disaster back with the Cubs, but not to go into <laughs> too much detail there, but you kind of saw him kind of totally checked out with his headphones on. But in hockey. What's, what's interesting for us is we've done this, we're doing the audio streaming across the Wi-Fi system, and, uh, but it's allowing us to do multiple channels. So when you talk about personalization of how you want to, what that experience needs to look like, you have the ability to pick and choose your channel. So when we were against the Montreal Canadiens in the finals, we did a home TV broadcast, we did a home radio broadcast, but then we also did a, a road TV broadcast, which was in French. So if you wanted to actually listen to the game in a different language, we have that available to you. The other thing we do, which is important from an inclusion standpoint, is making sure that we can support those with assisted listening. So that's another piece that we have through that system is not just for your own personalized experience of how you want to enjoy the show and enjoy the game, but also for people that need a little additional support. And I think that was one of the things that we were really happy that we could deliver on for those individuals in need. How about from a concession solutions perspective? I know there's, with the NFL, for example, there's stadiums like the Viking Stadium, Lumen Field in Seattle and so forth that over the years have been really innovative in terms of the technology they've deployed for fans ordering food at their food, having it delivered, or just the efficiency of how concessions were set up in general. When you look at solutions like Amazon just walk in or zip and grab uh, and go and so forth, is there anything along those lines that you guys have, have looked at to implement or have implemented? Yeah, so really good point. I mean, when we talk about our roadmap, those technologies and solutions are being actively evaluated. And I'll give you a couple of examples of ones that we've been studying. And I think this is a really good example to my point earlier about us looking at other leagues and seeing how they're innovating and how we might be able to kind of, kind of take a page out of their playbook. One of the solutions that you brought up is, is just walk out. And uh, we do have three different options that we're looking at evaluating. The unique part about those solutions are there's different physical changes that might need to be made to really enable those. And so when you're talking construction, normally you're, you're thinking about doing those in the off seasons. So, and for us, you know, we have a very active arena in a non-pandemic year. We normally have somewhere in the range of 120 to 140 major events. And so you're really talking about, you know, spinning that building on its edge on every other other day of having some type of an event. And so for us, that means that it needs to be open and, and available as much as possible. Where we have our downtime tends to be the summertime, and that's really where we drive a lot of our off-season projects. So so moving down to that, I'll call it frictionless checkout, is something that we'll be we'll be looking at implementing this next upcoming off-season. But we've also done some things where it's like self-checkout. So there's some really great technologies. Mastion comes to mind. We've seen that in action across the board with some of those open marketplaces and check yourself out. That's one that we are actively engaged in and discussing and looking like we're going to be doing some proof of concepts within our environment this upcoming off season and then leading into next season as well. And then the other thing that we've recently done is we are in the process of rebuilding and relaunching our mobile experience. Again, we've seen some really nice advancements on the mobile front, specifically mobile wallet, loaded value, our discounting programs, and then tying that back to our F&B and merchandise experience and really streamlining that, not just for the fan base, but also for our partners as well. And so th- those are all things that we are actively working on. 
I will say ordering from your seat is, is something that I think makes a ton of sense. Delivery to your seat is a little bit of an operational challenge. <laughs> I can imagine. But what I would say is anything that we can do to speed up the process, because we know that we have natural spikes because of the intermissions, and it's all about speed, and it's all about convenience. So anything that we can do to make that a better experience for our people, the better. The last thing that I'll just kind of hint on is there's some unique technology with regards to effectively, it's a self-ordering and dispensing mixed drink kiosk. And so the idea there is you're using facial recognition to identify the person as well as uh, some of the background checks for age. The system itself has the ability to identify different products and what's available on the menu and effectively make you a mixed drink. And the speed at which these are able to process versus going to a traditional bartender are, have been clocked somewhere in the range of five to 10 times faster. So when you're wow. thinking about the concert experience, not necessarily the hockey, because the hockey tends to be a little bit more of a beer crowd, but on the concert experience, which again, makes up 60 to 80 events throughout the year, mixed drinks and, and cocktails tend to do and perform better. This would allow people to get through those lines that much quicker, which eases more pressure in the concourses and, and obviously it increases the overall ex, um, uh, experience for fans as a whole. So from a concessions uh, perspective, if somebody like myself was coming into the arena and wanted to get something to eat, is there one particular food that you would recommend that I should try? So what I normally say when people come to visit is you need to have a good Cuban sandwich here. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good staple here in, in Tampa. The other one that's kind of a go-to, which is a pretty easy one, is uh, I'm a big fan of grouper sandwiches, black and grouper sandwiches. So, you know, that would be the other one that I would be pushing on you. But, but yeah, I, w- I would definitely lean to the Cuban. Is We make some really good Cubans around here. And a trip to Ebor for a cigar, I think that would be the other thing that I'd be recommending. See, for those of you that uh, just tuned in, you're listening to the Terry and Andrew Culinary Hour. <laughs> you mentioned a few minutes ago the pandemic. And I don't think there's a guest that I've spoken to over the last year across industries where we haven't had a conversation about the effects of the pandemic in the industry. What did 2020 look like for for you, the team, the group, in terms of the impacts of the pandemic? I, I know, for example, that when I've spoken to individuals that are in similar roles with you within the NFL, for example, they talked about how you couldn't really get away from not going to a stadium even without a game because that's where everything happened, right? If you were if you were doing video editing and some other things, and so they had to figure out ways to accommodate it even before they figured out how to make it easier to work remotely, for example. What did it look like for you guys during you know 2020 and coming into 2021? It's interesting to reflect back on that, and I would say a couple of things. One, from a front office standpoint, we have been a very much a traditional approach, which everyone would work from the arena. There wasn't a lot of remote workers, and, and quite honestly, we weren't prepared uh, for having people have to work from home. So we had to accelerate a lot of things that we had planned over the next several years, but quite honestly, weren't, weren't ready for that. So you know, making sure that people were productive, had the right resources and capabilities available to them, and at speed, um, that was a challenge. That was a big challenge for the organization. I, I will say I think we handled it, it well. And, and some of the reason why is just the organization's ability to, to be flexible and to pivot, whether that's leadership and, and how people are getting engaged, but also with people being very open and, and flexible with even personal computing. So 
using some of their personal gear to make sure that they could be productive at home while we were working on you know more organizational rollout of solutions to support the remote workforce. The one other part I would say is kind of unique is because we're a facility management organization, at least that's a piece of what we do, you know, the facility doesn't necessarily fully shut down. And so there was several right. groups that were considered and assigned as essential services. So things like your security team, your building engineers, you know, those folks that had to keep the building physically up and running and do it in the most safe and secure way possible. Well, technology was also deemed an essential service, as was construction. And so what we were able to do with the kind of, I would call it the evacuation of fans and the, and the uh, you know, really most of our front office working from home, there was always a small crew or a skeleton crew, if you will, of people that were still in the arena. And, and of course, I was one of those. So a lot of people talk about like working for home for extended periods of time. It was like I never left. It was just there was less people here with me. And but what that allowed us to do is actually in a, in a kind of a unique and special way is we had time because you didn't have the fans, because games were postponed, because there was that lull. Everyone knows the business impact was tremendous. But what it did provide us, which is usually very hard to get, is, is time. And so we used that time to invest in a lot of major upgrades of our infrastructure that required construction, that required time in the building that we normally would never get. And so, you know, during, you know, we try to take a negative like the pandemic and turn it into a positive. And I think that's exactly what we did. And so we, we upgraded our distributed antenna system. We were able to upgrade our entire Wi-Fi system. We were able to implement a cashless arena and we would begin to, to lay out the foundational components for our, uh, our digital wallet and, and basically moving more things to a digital payment in general across all of our forms of, of commerce. And so, you know, very, very challenging. And obviously when we did slowly bring people back, you know, it was being very cautious. We had, a, we had our plan reviewed by experts across the medical community, as well as ensuring that the, uh, the county and the city and everyone else was very comfortable with our approach. And of course, league rules had had some things to say about that as well. But, you know, from a technology standpoint, it was actually a, a time for us to accelerate work. And we were able to get become very, very productive during that time. And I think for that, we're actually in a very, you know, really strong position now. Things that we would have had to be doing, you know, in these past, this past year, we were able to accomplish two years ago. And, and so for me, the pandemic was challenging for getting our people productive. But then we were extremely productive with our work product and our projects that we could accelerate. And you just happened to win two championships during that time. But yeah, those those helped too. But that's that's kind of an aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting is the uh, technology executives that I've spoken to over the last year or two about that same question. The companies that seem to have made out in a, uh, that ended up in a better position, kind of after the pandemic or the the middle of the pandemic than before are the companies that decided we can't just cut back costs and stop operating. We have to continue to create value. And those that took an opportunity like you guys did to update some of the systems, implement some of the technology that you were thinking about probably implementing anyway, but it just got accelerated, are the ones that on the other side uh, of the pandemic have said, we're in a better place. And I assume, my follow-up question was going to be, I assume you are now better prepared from that experience should anything, whether it's a pandemic or something not as not as radical happen, to be able to continue to operate probably better than you were before you kind of learned some of those lessons like everybody else did, right? 
That, that is exactly right. Our organization is in a much stronger position now. And the other thing, you know, that, that I always want to kind of point out is, you know, sometimes you can bring technology to the organization, but the organization still needs to adopt it. And there still needs to be that level of kind of take rate, if you will. And obviously the pandemic kind of pushed a lot of things over the edge, like video conferencing and unified communications and other ways to communicate with one another. And so I think that was, you know, something that we were able to drive is, hey, we've had these in our back pockets. We've been trying to incentivize people to do them. But now we actually have, you know, a better and and a more appropriate way to get people over the hump because they're forced to. And so it's not just the uh, carrot approach. Now we can, there's a little bit of a stick that we can use as well to to kind of drive those technology advancements. But you're exactly right. I mean, I I think the other thing that was really interesting for us and and yet again, back to to Jeff Vinnick and and what he's done for our, our community and for even his associates is, you know, there's a lot of organizations that because of the uh, the challenges with the revenue side of the house, there were layoffs, there was reductions in salaries. There was a lot of things happening across the industry. And, you know, Jeff was one of the individuals who decided that he did not want to do any of those things. And so what that means to an associate and myself and others is that that you know, just brings that much more passion towards your daily life of, you know, if our owner's going to step up for us, let's step up for him. And, and that made us work even harder uh, during those times. And, you know, I think the best way to look at that is when games were becoming back, when the season was starting to return, there was a time when we actually had the opportunity to host the Toronto Raptors. So we turned our building and not to just the hockey arena and concerts and other events, but now we are hosting basketball games for the NBA. And even though we host basketball games for NCAA and other tournaments, doing it at the frequency of a two, like two major professional sports is very different. And from a manpower standpoint, from an execution. And so, you know, I credit the team a lot because, you know, we were working double time because quite honestly, we we had to, but it was the right thing to do for the org. And and that's what we wanted to do to support Jeff and the rest of the organization. Andrew, give me your read on this. There's, There's a perception, a longtime belief, if you will, in sports that winning makes a lot of problems disappear, right? That being successful competitively makes it easier to sell tickets, create and drive revenue streams, improve the fan experience, and so forth. Do you sort of buy buy into that? Does it is there a need to, for example, not to be complacent, if that's the right term to use, that hey, we're winning, we're just going to continue doing the same thing as opposed to that was great. How do we get better? How do you look at that? sort of that, that belief, if you will, within sports, that, that winning is, is all it takes and everything else falls in place? Uh, I, got, I got a couple of different thoughts on this one, I guess. My, <laughs> my first thought is that I think winning can cure some short-term pain, meaning people are happy, morales are up. Some of the problems in the organization get kind of glossed over because you are winning and, and things are you know, uh, doing better on the revenue side as well as doing better with your fan base. So Short term, I think you, you could make the argument that, yeah, winning is going to cure some, some ills of the organization. I don't think that works in the long haul. And so, you know, something that, that I've been kind of educated on and, and obviously that you've seen in practice is that most of the time teams will ebb and flow with regards to having periods of, of really good fortune and, and great performance and then periods where, you know, they're in rebuilding mode. And so it's a very cyclical business of the ups and downs of, of teams. Now, there are examples of extreme lows. My 
the Chicago Cubs, I guess, would be considered one of those of 108 years of losing before they broke the curse. <laughs> and then I think there, there are other teams that have had uh, extended periods of winning, and I think the Yankees would be one of those, although more recently that's not been the case. But in general, they, they tend to be an example of someone who is consistently considered a frontrunner. But if you look at it more of the ebbs and flows of most clubs and, and their, and their uh, fortune and their performance – I think it's really important to say is when you're on the high is when you need to be doing, you know, some of the most investing and preparing and planning and execution for when you're at the low, because when you're at the low, that's when revenues are down. And that's when you do need to make changes and do things differently. And the problem is, is that's the, that's the most difficult time to do it because one, the, you know, your funding might not be there for you. And then two, you know, you're introducing processes that you should have put in place, you know, much earlier in, in time. So I, I don't I don't think it's a long term strategy that, hey, if you win, you're fine. I think that's a short term strategy. I, th- I think really thoughtful planning and strategy is what's going to win in the long run so that you can manage the ups and the downs. And, and we should say maximize the highs and minimize the lows. That's really what you're trying to do. So that way you're constantly, you know, shrinking that performance windows down to more winning seasons and more more winning seasons as a whole versus, you know, and being able to recover when there's some bad breaks versus when you get into the, you know, the the negative uh, side of the house. Yeah. And I, and I look at the struggles of, you know, my coyotes, if you will, I say my coyotes, because I live in Arizona, you know, front office issues, low attendance, struggling to get a new arena built and so forth. And so it's kind of a catch 22 because you want to say, well, none of these would be issues because you would attract the right talent. You would attract, you know, funding and so forth for a new arena if you're already winning. But if you're sort of in that middle ground where you have to do some things first to be able to build on top of, then I could imagine it becomes a little more, a little more challenging. Uh, obviously, you know, ownership of the team and, and other things uh, come into consideration, but um, I see that firsthand here. So that's why I'm curious. Again, I've had the, the good fortune of joining organizations that were arguably at low points and have now made the investments, had a long term vision and, and the focus on, you know, this isn't a short term thing. We're, we're looking to do this in the long haul. And I think both organizations have been successful in, in those transformations and that mindset. And so very happy to be a, a part of both of them. And, and they're very different in their own ways, but there's a lot of similarities, too. And, and again, it's it's. Uh, great fortune for the owners and what they've done. And then obviously I've been along for the ride, which has been pretty amazing. Yeah. So, so one last question. So going into 2023, where's, what's your big bet? What are you hoping to do over the next year? Obviously things that you can talk about. What is Andrew? What is Vinick sports group? What is the lightning? What's the goal to be able to say if there was one thing or two things that at the end of 2023, if we had the same conversation, he said, yes, that's what I hope to do. That's what we're able to, to accomplish. Well, I'll, I'll do a quick one on the, on the hockey side of the house. Cause that one's easy, right? So sure. we want to, we want to continue to, 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 to be fighting for and hopefully winning Stanley cups, right? Sure. We, want, we want that extended winning streak to continue and, and continue to, you know, to put a great product on the ice for the fan base and, and for the organization as a whole. And that, that's something that we're committed to. On the, I think, fan experience side of the house, which is something that I, that I would say is, is a little bit more near and dear is, you know, we are con- consistently tracking and looking at what's going to make the fans' lives easier and what's going to make it more convenient and, and just more fun. And so 
you know, there are areas that we are studying across every aspect of the experience, whether it's how you enter the individual arenas themselves for events, looking at frictionless screening technology is, is something that's starting to sweep through uh, the industry and across industries as well. You know, that's one thing that we're on the verge of moving forward with. I think there's a big component of what we do here in Tampa. You know, we have the luxury of weather. And so continuing to engage our fans, not just inside the building, but outside the building. So you're going to start to see some really exciting things happening kind of around the arena. Uh, some things that we are participating in and then some things that we are doing direct control over, which is really exciting. And then I think, you know, the other thing that I think is really exciting is going back to the player and puck tracking is we know that's going to have an impact on the hockey operations side of the house. But I think it's also going to have a major factor into the broadcasting side and the experience at home and then the experience in the arena with the next gen stats. Like, I really feel like that is such an exciting technology that is into the league now and something that, you know, we that's where that competitive playground is going to be when we're going up against the Toronto's and the others. That's the exciting part. And, and we know we know that data can unlock a lot of great insights. And so we're excited to be competing on that that exact same area. Yeah, fantastic. Andrew, thank you again for taking the time to be here. As a sports fan, a hockey fan, a technologist, I very much appreciate what you do for your team, the group, the sport, and the community. I think it's a good example that doing well doesn't mean you can't do good. I'm looking forward to seeing you and the Lightning continue to be sort of the tip of the spear in terms of the kinds of things you can do for the game itself, for the fans, and then obviously for the community. So again, thank you very much for the time. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. And for more Lumen news, at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show, and I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.